Friday, the 17th of September in Brisbane, 2023, uh, late night, uh, early evening, Thursday, the 16th of September. Happy Valentine's Day, buddy. Did you get my uh, strippogram that I sent? I did. Um, I thought it was a repairman, uh, but then good news, it wasn't. So the only thing he kept on was the tool belt, and I appreciated the art behind well, his like, dancing. You know, he, he um, I got him, uh, I hired him from... Um, back to life Valentine program. These are guys, he was straight out of prison. He's just done 20 years in Folsom, that guy for um, mass murder. Right. Um, And I I, I thought, you know, uh, give the guy a chance to, to rebuild his life. Turn it around or or not and kill somebody. But, but you had faith. You took a leap of faith. Yeah. Well, either way would have been a good outcome for me, Um, particularly after that tech support session. I might have to send him back okay. to your house. <laughs> From now on, Cam, when you interview someone for the next 10-year project, the first question you should ask on a scale from 1 to 10, what is your tech knowledge? <laughs> You're going to save yourself a lot of trouble. The fact that you had a guy yeah, having to like uh, build your website for you back then was a tip-off I should have. That should, Yeah, if it's anybody's coming. fault. It's kind of yours. So I Ray, forgive you though. Ray and I, for for whatever, nine years we've worked together, we've always had a Dropbox folder where we share files, recordings, and yeah. stuff like that. And, and then increasingly in the last six months, uh, every week, Ray can't find that folder for some reason. So he creates a new one and then another one and then another one. And, and they're all called Ray and Cam. Ray and Cam one, Ray and Cam two, Ray and Cam three, Ray and Cam four. And I'm oh, end up with like 15 folders. And then you're like, <laughs> then you created Team Ray. And then a <laughs> couple of weeks after up. he created Team Ray. Gone. I said, I Gone. dropped the folders. I dropped the files into the Team Ray. And he goes, I can't find the Team Ray folder. Where is it? <laughs> like, it's your fucking folder. You created it. I can't, I don't know. I, I can't. Just- I suspect the communists. No, you know, like George Foreman named all of his chill children George Foreman. They just had middle names. That's what I was doing. I was just keeping the the Ray yeah. and Cam and just yeah. duplicating. All of our uh, children like, are called Ray yeah. and Cam. Yeah, it was a it was a testament to how many years I was going to make a file for each year that we worked together. That's what it was. Okay, I'm back on track now. Uh, let's get into some stories. Uh, let's do this. Um, so we got. A, there's been a lot of great stories over the last month since we last did a bullshit filter. I've got a massive file. We're not going to get through all of them, sadly, today, but we'll get through some. You know, there's some right. months when I don't have anything in my bullshit yeah. filter folder. Yeah, and some months like, when it's you got anything. Hmm. Yeah, and and this month it overfloweth. Oh my god! Yeah. So let's start with uh, the Nord Stream pipeline. Okay. Now, um, 
you know, I'm sure people listening to this remember the basics, but for those who don't, um, uh, some months ago um, mm-hmm. there was this uh, incident where uh, some pipelines carrying gas from Russia to Germany, right. Nord Stream pipelines, uh, were blown up. And, uh, you know, the suggestion in the media, oh, this yeah. is, um, well, November, we did a story on a back and bullshit field of 111. Um, on September 26th, someone attacked the pipelines last year, 2022. Yes. And um, the suggestion in the US media then as now, and the, and the world media more or less, was right. that Russia was responsible for blowing up these pipelines. Sounds right. They're playing a deep game. Go ahead. Go ahead. And we did a story about it where we were going, why would Russia blow up their own gas pipelines? Major source of revenue. They'd spend, you know, billions of dollars building these things. Mm -hmm. Why would they blow it up? And we went through the various theories. I mean, there is a couple. One I remember is that maybe it was uh, so they could uh, be an insurance claim. Oh, look, right. it, it accidentally blew up. We'll claim the insurance. Yeah. But when everyone's saying, well, you did it, it's going to be very hard Harder to um, to collect. <laughs> collect on that. The, yeah. the theory that we favoured back then was that it was the US or one of the US's allies that had blown it up. And right. A, sort of a retribution slash punishment for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. B, to make it harder for you know after the war is over for Russia yeah. to ship gas to Europe, Germany in particular, um, because that is uh, going to make it easier for the US and their allies to pick up that energy business. Anyway, right. So in the last week, Seymour Hirsch, probably one of the most awarded US investigative journalists ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out with a story where he said, um, based on his source, an anonymous source, and we'll get into that, it was, in fact, the U.S. that blew up the Nord pipelines. USA, now, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Now, Seymour Hirsch, we talk about him a lot on this show, and um, people may or may not know who he is. For people tuning in who don't know who he is, Uh, Here's what Glenn Greenwald said of him. Beyond any reasonable dispute, one of the two or three most accomplished, important, and courageous journalists of his generation, very, very few journalists on the planet and virtually none who still work inside the nation's largest media corporations can even get close to him when it comes to having broken more major history-changing stories. Perhaps one of the few is Julian Assange, who is not working within a major media outlet, but instead is languishing in a high-security prison in Belmarsh in London. Now, um, Seymour Hirsch made his name first in the 60s. He went to Vietnam, covered the war as a freelance reporter. He broke Mm -hmm. the story of the My Lai Massacre, where American soldiers had uh, torched a village of civilians. Um, He was then hired as a staff reporter by The New Yorker, where he worked for the next 22 years, from 1971 to 93. Mm. He's worked for a lot of major media outlets. But these days, he's freelance, and he he just started a Substack account, and this story about the Nord Stream pipelines was his first story that he published on that. Uh, Yeah, his Substack is now the home for a lot of 
uh, good investigative journalists because the the big media outlets really aren't uh, right. funding investigative journalism a great deal these days. So, um, yeah. So guys like Greenwald and Matt Taby and and Seymour uh, Hirsch have had to go independent and you know use sites like Substack etc to host their content. Yeah. Well, you know, um, we've said this a billion times. Nature abhors a vacuum when it comes to power. It also abhors a vacuum when it comes to the truth. People like this can put out things like this because, as you you know, you were hinting at a minute, minute ago, we're not getting that from the main media. We have to get it from other places like this. People who are willing to tell the truth because they're not being bought off or they're not part of the the larger system. So I hope this guy. I know he's looking. He's he's old now, but I hope he lives forever. It would be nice if he did. Well, or somebody should take over after him. Yeah. We shouldn't jump to the conclusion that this is the truth. Right. Um, he might be wrong. He might be, uh, his. maybe his source isn't legit. Maybe his source is fake. We've seen that before. Mm, okay. But the reason I pay attention to guys like him, you know, I always bang on, on this show in particular, about epistemology and heuristics. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. For people that are new to this uh, show or this idea, my basic theory when I'm reading the news or, or reading history is um, to realize, A, I'm not an expert in anything apart from eating pussy. That's the only thing I'm in, uh, I've got a degree in. B, um, when you, I'm not going to become an expert in most no. things. Right. So in order to navigate complex uh, domains of expertise and try and arrive at what I think might be going on. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing you need to do is have your epistemology sorted out. Basically, it's a fancy word that I got when I did my PhD in um, Tunnelingus, is um, how do we know what is true in this right. particular domain? What 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 is truth going to look like? And it differs from domain to domain. If you're talking about epidemiology, like during the COVID uh, pandemic, how we know what is most likely to be true in that scenario is different from if we're doing uh, the historicity of Jesus. It's different from when we're talking about who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. There are different ways of determining what's most likely to be true. You need Mm -hmm. to kind of start there and work out, you know, in a perfect world, how would you work out what's true? Right. Once you've done that, then you go, well, what's my heuristic for working out the truth here? Heuristic, again, is a fancy word for a rule of thumb. Who who do I turn to, basically, to um, help me get to what's most likely to be true? Because I'm not going to do all the work myself. I need to have people or organizations that I can turn to that I trust. And I need to have reasons why I trust them. And you know, particularly in cases like this, it's because they have a long track record of mm-hmm. telling the truth, breaking stories of, of, of integrity and credibility, as does Seymour Hirsch. So um, right. during his career, he's won a Pulitzer. He also won the George Polk Award for investigative reporting, which is the second most prestigious award in journalism. Five times he's won that. Wow. The fifth time... Was when he exposed the abuses at Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq, two thousand and four, oh. which resulted in court martialing of numerous U.S. service members, but of course not Dick Cheney or Donald Rumsfeld right. or George Bush. Yeah. He covered Watergate, the secret bombing campaign in Cambodia, 
Mm-hmm. And in 2003, he won a National Magazine Award for his reporting on how Dick Cheney and the neocons in the Bush administration were manipulating intelligence and manufacturing all sorts of propaganda and then disseminating it via the nation's largest media outlets. So wow. he's a very credible investigative reporter. Doesn't necessarily mean he's right all of the time. Sure. Um, but he also has a really long history of saying things the government doesn't want him to say and that the media outlets don't want him to say because most of the media outlets, most of the major news outlets, as we know, just back whatever the government's line is in these sorts of things, particularly if it's involving geopolitics, uh, enemies of the state, that kind of stuff. They all fall into line generally and um, just keep spinning out the approved propaganda. Right. Let me, let me ask you real quick about that. I, I'm assuming, well, first of all, Seymour Hirsch, if there was a blue chip reporter, it would be him. But as far as what you just said, as far as um, the uh, reporters who basically act like stenographers, as opposed to uh, journalists who just kind of repeat what the government tells them, I'm assuming, and I wanted to get your opinion on why, I'm, I'm assuming they that if they do stand up <clears throat> to power, if they do say no, if they do not play ball, then they won't be invited to the next little, you know, whispering campaign or whatever. So I guess... Not not that this makes it acceptable, but maybe they listen to the government and they do the government's bidding. One because the uh, the paper the owners uh, owner of the paper is probably pals with the right people. But the point is, if you don't tell, if you don't play along with them, they may not invite you to the to the next time there's a leak or to there's information or whatever. Do you think it's pretty much almost like just looking out for their own career or they're thinking about the next story is why they play ball with these people? Or have you? Have you have you read anything about why people would consistently and probably knowingly uh, spread falsehoods for the government? Is yeah, it just like part I've, of the game. I've interviewed a couple of times over the years an Australian uh, journalist slash editor slash publisher, um, uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Main, and he ran a, an independent, uh, founded and ran an independent media organization here called Crikey. For a long time until he got sued for defamation and had to sell the business by Jeez. it got sued by a large Australian businessman, but um right. and he had to pay his legal bills. But I've asked Stephen about this and I wrote about this in the psychopath epidemic as well. Um, you know, he says the way it works, and he's talking about covering uh regular beat stuff for journalists, like business journalists or or you know, police journalism, that kind of stuff. Right. Basically, he says the way it works is if you're a you're a young journalist and you get sent out on the corporate beat, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and the same would be true if you're a White House reporter or whatever, and you don't play ball, you ask inconvenient questions, right. or you 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 don't toe the party line. What happens is as soon as the meetings, the presentations over, the PR conference is over, your editor gets a phone call from somebody high up who says, uh, don't send that motherfucker along anymore or pull him into line. Right. And if you do, and if you don't pull him into line, um, you don't get your, your badge gets revoked. You don't get access. You won't get invited back to the next AGM or the next press briefing or whatever it is. Right. Um, and if we're a corporation, uh, we'll stop advertising in your paper, on your television station, oh. whatever it is. So there's a lot right. of that stuff goes on. And, you know, one of a couple of things then happens. Either the editor pulls that journalist into line 
all the editor says no, and we're, we're going to go after you here, and they 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 get ready to go to war, and that does happen rarely. Right. Or uh, what happens is the journalist gets told, "Don't do that again." The journalist can either go, "Oh shit, okay," right. um, and What's doesn't and right. toes the line, or the journalist goes rogue and says, "No, I'm going to keep doing it." In Ooh. which case, they usually get fired or pushed out yep. or have to quit or they get assigned to the uh, mother's beaters. meeting beat. Yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> they, they get punished. And other right. journalists see that happen inside the newsroom. And oh. so you get to know the culture of the organisation gets to know, don't do that, Bobby did that, oh. and look what happened to him, right? So right. there are mechanisms inside of organisations to destroy independent thinking if it doesn't fit in with the agenda of the organization. Anyway, back so, to Hirsch and yes. Nordstrom. Thank you. So Hirsch is obviously one of these guys who's consistently broken stories that were inconvenient for various White House administrations. Right. And usually when it happens, uh, like what happened with the Watergate thing, um, you know, the, the government's initial response is that's bullshit. That didn't happen. He's making it up. He's full of shit. But right. then gradually over Step time, away. he yeah. gathers more and more evidence and um, reports on it, and they eventually have to concede that he's right, and then he wins awards. But then right. the next time it happens, the same process happens. Well, that's bullshit. Deny, deny, deny. Yeah. So he but, broke this story last week, claiming yeah. that according to his source, mm-hmm. it wasn't Russia but the USA that blew it up. Now, um, back in November 22 when we did a story on this, I mentioned that Marie Agnes Strack-Zimmermann, head of the Defence Committee in Germany's parliament, mm-hmm. stressed at the time that she had no evidence Russia was behind the attack but believed it was the most plausible culprit, which wow. they were like, really? You think that's the most plausible? <laughs> that's what you're going with? Okay, okay. At the time, she said Putin is going to use every hybrid measure at his disposal to fluster Europeans from food to refugees to energy but I remember we said at the time, well, he could just turn it off. Yeah. You don't have to blow it up. <laughs> it's my fucking, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's my it's oil. It's just like turn the off switch and go, yeah, we're not. Yeah. Right right to tight, left to loose. I choose yeah. right to tight and now no more Lefty, oil. Lefty, loosey, righty, tight. Yeah. Yeah, and you bitches can freeze this winter. Yeah. Yeah, he, mm. good point. Yeah. Um, but the former f- Polish foreign minister at the time, Radek Sikorski, who was a member mm-hmm. of several NATO think tanks and married to a prominent US foreign policy commentator, Anne Applebaum, oh, suggested, the open, suggested openly at the time that the US was behind it. Right. The New York Times at the time, surprisingly, uh, were very cautious over assigning blame to Russia. Putin mm. at the time said, it is clear to everyone who benefits from this. Of course, he who benefits did it. Yes, we bono. We bono. Thank you, Vlad. <laughs> Dmitry Peskov, Kremlin spokesman, said that accusing Russia was predictably stupid and absurd. He said American natural gas supplies were reaping huge profits from increased sales to Europe, suggesting yeah. that the United States was to blame. Of course we're not, said Adrienne Watson, spokeswoman for the White House's National Security Council. We all know Russia has a long history of spreading disinformation and is doing it here again. Yeah. Now, um, I know the U.S. is also, she's right about Russia, but so the U.S. has spread its we're pretty good. disinformation we're, as well. We, we're pretty good at it. We've had some practice. Yeah. Now, of course, the U.S. government are denying Hirsch's claims as well. Good for now, me. Hirsch claims that he has a source with direct knowledge of the process, and yes. he's keeping that source 
anonymous. Now, I'm always skeptical of anonymous sources, and for good reason. We have plenty of of uh, stories that have come down to us, and we'll talk about some of those uh, later on in the episode, mm-hmm. where big breaking stories were based on anonymous stories, and they that we later found out either those sources didn't exist, or um, the sources were highly compromised. Yes, um, as in the case of the um, New York Times's source, Judith Miller's source in the Iraq invasion. Uh, mm-hmm. Before the Iraq invasion, that said that Saddam had WMD Shalabi. Right. We'll talk about that more later on. We've talked about it in the past. Mm-hmm. So we should always be skeptical when when a journalist claims that they have an anonymous source. But right. this is Hirsch. Hirsch yeah. has spent a lifetime uh, developing sources in the U.S. military, um, and if you're going to tr- – so anonymous sources are, are, are difficult, but, of course, investigative journalists, when they're breaking stories that are this a bigger deal, they're relying on sources that are leaking them information that was probably illegal. Guy would go to jail. We've had plenty yes. of whistleblowers in the U.S. go to jail in the last 10 years. Oh, yes. uh, Chelsea Manning, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Julian Assange is in prison in large part because uh, the US were upset about stories that he published that had come from leaked sources. Right. Um, so he needs, Hirsch needs to protect his source here. But if anyone, any journalist should be trusted that they say they have a legitimate source inside the US military, yeah. it's Seymour Hirsch because of all of yes. the awards that he's won and all of the stories yeah. that he's broken in the past. Yeah. Now, um, does that mean I trust him 100%? No, of course not. The only two only people me. I trust 100% are you and Chrissy. <laughs> and I mostly trust you just to fuck shit up. Um, Do I ever let you down? Never. No, I see. Now, look. Consistency. What, yes, go What ahead. I always say is I always trust people to do what they think is in their best interests. That's True. what everyone does, right? Yes. Now, whether or not their interests align with telling the truth is is different, but people always do what's in their own best interests. Yeah. Now, according to Hirsch, here's the story. I'm going to read a bit here. I've sort of tried to pick the eyes out of his article. Right. The U.S. Navy's Diving and Salvage Center can be found in a location as obscure as its name, down what was once a country lane in rural Panama City, a now booming resort city in the southwestern panhandle of Florida, 70 miles south of the Alabama border. The Ooh. center has been training highly skilled deep water divers for decades who, once assigned to American military units worldwide, are capable of technical diving to do the good using C4 explosives to clear harbors and beaches of debris and right. unexploded ordnance, as well as the bad, like blowing up foreign oil rigs fouling intake valves for undersea power plants, destroying locks on crucial shipping canals. Last June, the Navy divers operating under the cover of a widely publicized midsummer NATO exercise known as Baltops 22 Mm -hmm. planted the remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines, according to a source with direct knowledge of the operational planning. Ask for comment, Adrienne Watson, a White House spokesman, said in an email, this is false and complete fiction. Tammy Thorpe, a spokesperson for the Central Intelligence Agency, similarly wrote, this claim is completely and utterly false. 
Uh-huh. Biden's decision to sabotage the pipelines came after more than nine months of highly secret back and forth debate inside Washington's national security community about how to best achieve that goal. For much of that time, the issue was not whether to do the mission, but how to get it done with no overt clue as to who was responsible. Uh, we're going to blow a... it up. We're going to blow yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> There was a vital bureaucratic reason for relying on the graduates of the center's hardcore diving school in Panama City. The right. divers were Navy only and not members of America's Special Operations Command, whose covert operations must be reported to Congress and briefed in advance to the Senate and House leadership, the so-called Gang of Eight. The Biden administration was doing everything possible to avoid leaks as the planning took place late in 2021 and into the first months of 2022. So just to pause there for a second, yeah, they were looking for ways to do it without having to tell Congress and Senate that they were doing it, basically. And to not be found out. Yeah. Hence the divers. Yeah. And deniability. From its earliest... Yeah. Premeditated completely. Go ahead. Just... Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was planned for nine months. Right. From its earliest days, Nord Stream 1 was seen by Washington and its anti-Russian NATO partners as a threat to Western dominance. America's political fears were real. Putin would now have an additional and much-needed major source of income, and Germany and the rest of Western Europe would become addicted to low-cost natural gas supplied by Russia, while diminishing European reliance on America. In fact, that's exactly what happened. Many Germans saw Nord Stream 1 as part of the deliverance of former Chancellor Willy Brandt's famous Ostpolitik theory, which would enable post-war Germany to rehabilitate itself and other European nations destroyed in World War II by, among other initiatives, utilising cheap Russian gas to fuel a prosperous Western Europe market and trading economy. Solid plan. Now, we've always said that we thought the reason the USA engineered two coups in Ukraine, 2004 and 2014, was primarily about energy supply, plus weakening Russia in general, but largely about trying to uh, create access to energy markets for US companies and their allies, and that the US's provocation of Russia, uh, provocation to, provocation of, either way, both, that led to the Ukraine invasion. Mm -hmm. Uh, And remember that, you know, Putin had been asking the US for years, don't add Ukraine to NATO, right up until a couple of months before the invasion, Biden was saying that's that's a non-starter when it's not even open for negotiation, not open for discussion. so, uh, and and they were, you know, overthrowing the over engineered coups there twice in ten years. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was mostly it was partly about energy supply, but also to create a justification for the U.S. to hit Russia with sanctions. Let's push right. them, force them to invade. Then we can hit them with sanctions, and then we can do stuff like blow up their pipelines. Yeah. And even if Nobody- we get caught out. We can go, well, it was to We're support heroes. Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, no one's going to – everyone's yeah. going to go, oh, okay, fair enough. Right. Well, it's, Everyone it's except nice. Russia, that is. Right. Exactly. But it's nice when you're a Western leader and the uh, and the ability to open up markets doves, dovetails with being able to hurt your enemy's uh, position in the international world, as well as take a lot of money from them, trying to keep Russia beat down. Not only can they not sell oil, like you said, the sanctions. I mean, this is a perfect opportunity for whoever's in charge at the time. And Biden is like, this, this is great. Uh, I can work on these two things at the same time, because for right now, unless I'm missing something, 
Putin is a pariah for the rest of his life. He will never live this down. Yes, the world will go on. I get that. But this will be one of the big things in the history books. He um, he invaded Crimea. Now he's invaded the Ukraine. We have we have boxed him in so brilliantly that he had to react. And now he's the bad guy as far as espionage or whatever you want to call it goes. Pretty slick move if this is indeed what had happened. Pick up the gun. Pick up the gun. You saw him. So he had a gun. He had so he had a gun. Twelve times in the yeah. head. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So um, yeah. And and now um, another story we were going to cover. We won't have time. You know, BP recently announced record right. profits. Um, Shock gasp. American yeah. energy companies and their allies, British allies, European allies, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sweeping in and cleaning up um, by yes. picking up all of this business at higher prices because, you know, supply Demand, issues have driven baby. prices up. Right. Now, Hirsch goes into detail about the planning of the Nord destruction, which he said, uh, you know, happened months before the invasion took place. As his source told him, this is not kitty stuff. If the attack were traceable to the United States, it's an act of war. Let me read exactly. again from... Uh, Hirsch's article. Throughout all of this scheming, the source said, some working guys in the CIA and the State Department were saying, don't do this. It's stupid and it will be a political nightmare if it comes out. Mm -hmm. On February 7th, less than three weeks before the seemingly inevitable Russian invasion of Ukraine, Biden met in his White House office with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who, after some wobbling, was now firmly on the American team. At the press briefing that followed, Biden defiantly said, if Russia invades, there'll be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We'll bring an end to it. Ooh. And we played that clip, uh, I think, yes. last time we talked about this. Yes. 20 days earlier, Undersecretary Under Victoria Nuland, who famously was secretly recorded picking the next uh, president of Ukraine after the last coup in 2014, essentially delivered the same message at a State Department briefing with little press coverage. I want to be very clear to you today, she said in response to a question. If Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Several of those involved in planning the pipeline mission were dismayed by what they viewed as indirect references to the attack. Wait, what happened? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you've run out of uh, your free episode. Ha <laughs> ha! The uh, full episode went for about two hours today, and if you want to listen to the other hour and a half, I'm sorry, but you need to be a Bullshit Filter subscriber. Be a member of the bullshit. Accept the bullshit into your heart for the cost of a cup of coffee a month, five bucks. You can be a Bullshit Filter supporter. So go over to the website, thebullshitfilter.com, sign up, become a member, and then you get to listen to the full episodes every month and our entire archive of episodes going back over the years so that's the bullshitfilter.com Bullshit. Bullshit. Bullshit.